Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thank you so much for being here. But before I introduce today's guest, I have to say something. And when I mean when I say I have to say something, I really mean it. Saying nothing just doesn't feel right. I don't quite know the words yet, so bear with me while I'm stumbling through this. Um, I'm I'm a white male in a society that has been woven with white privilege. Um, almost since inception. And there's absolutely no way that I could ever understand the experience of a person of color growing up in this culture, in this society. Um, There's no way I could ever fully understand that. Um, what, what What I've come to understand is when something like what happened to George Floyd hits the media when something like that happens, it triggers this really gross feeling, this feeling of unsettlement. And I sort of sit there and I think like, this is wrong. This isn't good. Um, what can we do? And I have conversations with my wife about this and she has done extensive work on understanding white privilege and checking her white privilege and trying to, undo all of the things that by simply growing up as a white person in this culture, we inadvertently think and do, and we just don't understand how it could affect somebody of color, a person of color. And I have these conversations with my wife and, and, you know, I walk away with, uh, I guess, confusion and, and fear and not really knowing what I could possibly do about it. Um, now, I, I, I never really had a, a platform to say anything before. I mean, I could have said things amongst my group of friends, but I didn't. I just didn't know what to say. It also it didn't feel right. Maybe it is fine, but it just didn't feel like it was something I could do, like walking up to a person of color and asking, what's your life like? What What's it all about? What How... But what are the challenges you're facing? I I just didn't know that that would be the right situation for that. That I I just didn't know out of out of fear and naivety. I guess I just never acted on it or never said anything. Um. But man, it, the increasing feelings of I should have said something piled up, and then this um happened, and it would be I think foolish and tone deaf of me not to say anything. Um, I have a platform, <laughs> no matter, you know, I have millions of people, but I have a platform. I have people who listen to this, who enjoy these interviews, you know, about print. And um, I know my guest on this episode has strong feelings about this as well, um, that the, the, you know, systemic racism in our culture, it's there. No matter what you, you think, it's there. And something needs to be done about it. I'm not the guy with those answers. And I know that I can't go out there and stop racism. I can donate to many, many different um, societies and non-for-profits that are doing amazing work. 
And in the show notes of this episode, I'll put some of them, the ones that I'm aware of, or I'll try and find a resource or a link to this. Um, but some, something more like has to be done. So I wanted to say something. And, and I think at this point, the most I can do is, is two things. One is at least bring it up here on this little platform that I have to, to raise awareness to it of the systemic racism and, and certain white privilege that's woven into our culture and say like, it's there guys, it is there just because you are a white person that is kind to all people does not mean that you are doing what you can or enough to undo the culture and society that is there and has been built. Um, so here I am saying that, like, this is real. It's a real thing. Um, people of color have massive struggles every day um, to get to even the same level as a white person. It, it's real. Um, and the second thing I can say is that the, uh, the other thing that I can do is, is take on, is learn more, understand more, read more about it, listen to the right podcasts about it. Just make it a priority because as a human race, it is important. We all should be treated as equals. We all should have the same opportunities. We all, nobody should fear going out for a walk by themselves. Like, I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kind of ranting, not ranting. I'm sort of rambling on a little bit here. I just, um, I guess trying to find the right words to be saying, and I don't know that there is right words. Um, it, it's just me acknowledging publicly and on this little platform that I have that, that there's this inert, uh, that there's this big problem with society and the culture that we live in. Um, and we, we got to pay attention. We got to change this. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to learn more. I, I have great conversations, um, with my wife about this. She's done a lot of work and reading up on it and trying to understand it more. I, I haven't, I I need to do that. I need to do the same, um, you know, and, and understand and try and raise this. And, you know, it's my feelings, I guess, are amplified by, I've got three little kids and, them growing up in the society and culture as is and and thinking not thinking that it's okay but you know, I want them to understand this I don't I want them to start taking steps to understand where they're at and I guess my only hope with that is that as at a younger age understanding that is a bigger step to turning it around, I guess, would be the right thing, the right words. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to do my part. I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to do as whatever I can with the little platform that I have. I'm going to educate myself. Um, I'm going to put a link in the podcast description here um, of a bunch of resources, whether that's books, whether that's podcasts, whether it's blogs or, or movies, whatever it is, um, of things that speak more to this and more eloquently and and has the right words, <laughs> the words that I clearly don't have. But um, like I said in the beginning, saying nothing didn't feel right. It felt, felt tone deaf. It wasn't saying nothing wasn't what I was feeling inside. Um, and saying nothing just felt wrong. So here I am saying something. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to wrap this part of it up there. Um, like I said earlier, I know that this guest will be okay with me speaking about this on, on her episode because she is as outspoken. She's outspoken about this and it's, it's an important thing that there's conversation happening, you know, staying quiet just because I'm not quite sure what to say, or I'm afraid of doing it wrong or saying it wrong because I'm just a white male growing up in this society and I don't fully understand. Not saying something because of those reasons just didn't seem right. So I had to say something. So I'm going to get to the proper intro here. Um, but definitely, like, systemic racism is there. It's it's a problem in our society and it's got to stop. It's got to end. Um, I'm going to do what I can and I really encourage you to do what you can. And if you're not sure where to start, check out the podcast description and I'll put a link there. And I mean, at least it's somewhere, right? We got to, we got to start on the journey to fixing this because this is, yeah, it's bad. So let's get to the rest of the intro and, uh, and then talk print with uh, my guest a little bit here. I have known this guest for a while now and every time we talk, it's an incredible conversation. It's great. And this particular interview is conversation, not interview. Interview sounds too formal. This conversation is laced with nostalgia. Lots and lots of nostalgia in this one. To the point where the ask the audience question from this episode is all about nostalgia. And if you've never answered the ask the audience question from one of the guests on the other episode, go to the Print Design Academy Instagram page and answer these questions. They are looking at your answers. And especially this one, because I am really curious. Answer the question, even post a photo on your Instagram feed and tag Print Design Academy as well as Tracy Ching, who is today's guest. During this episode, Tracy and I dive deep into the project that she created for Thor. This was a sort of special release poster that was screen printed on special foil stock and holographic foil stock at that, and it looks incredible. Go look at the images of this thing. We also talk about some G.I. Joe packaging that she had her hand in and a poster that she designed way back in the day, like as a child for DARE. Do you remember DARE? D.A.R.E. was an acronym for something. Um, drugs against or something. I don't know. Something about drugs. I can't remember the exact acronym for it, what it stands for, but it was DARE. It was the big campaign like back when we were 
I say we, but we were in like elementary school, early high school, that sort of thing. Anyways, let's get right to this one. Ladies and gentlemen, a fantastic interview laced with nostalgia with my good friend, Tracy Ching. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Tracy, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here again with you to, to talk about these prints. Yeah, I, love our, I loved our last conversation with the Quickie Podcast, and I know that you've got some brilliant work and some cool stories to share, and I really want to dive deep and geek out on this print stuff. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's, it's not often that you get to, to talk about print, um, so I'm excited to, to get into it. Well, I'm trying to change that, okay? I'm trying to change that. <laughs> So let's start with some of the other stuff and get it out of the way. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, this is this is always a really interesting uh, question to answer, mostly oh, yeah. because yeah, you're. I'm never sure what to say about myself. Mostly, the the sort of like elevator pitch is I'm an illustrator that that lives in the DMV, so the district uh, region. Um, and let's see what else I do: silkscreen print design, as well as mostly digital vector illustration. And people know me from my cross-hatching style of like pop culture print and uh, general subjects. Done, nailed it. You've been working on that, haven't you? No, <laughs> <laughs> it never gets easier. In all the years I've done it, it's literally never gotten easier. <laughs> it's like the most awkward question to just bust out first, right? Yeah, I mean, I could like talk about other people. Like, I I want to say in like a really like eloquent, not eloquent, probably not eloquent, but like a, an easier way. But when it comes to myself, I'm just like, um, I make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. So, because this is the print show, let's dive right in with print stuff. I want to go back in time to young Tracy, and I want to hear about your earliest memory of print or packaging, something from your childhood, from your teens. Yeah, so I was, I forget if we mentioned this on, on the last one, but I was obsessed really early on with, with print design. Really? And, you know, when, when it was happening, like, as, like, a kid and, you know, as a teen, it's never anything, like, I connected because I came from a, like, a crafting family. And also I was interested in fine art. I never really was aware or was kind of like introduced to the graphic design field. I didn't think about how the things that we dealt with on a daily basis came to be, especially those with like a pleasing aesthetic or an aesthetic in general. Right. But I, I would collect ephemera. I was like this weird little like paper hoarder. (laughs) So like things that I thought were really cool or really pretty, I would save and then I would keep them. And later on in high school, I would just put them on my walls. And so my entire room was like two or three walls of just like tiny collages of like different kinds of design. And it, I loved 
cross-hatching things. So I loved like Victorian and Edwardian, like tiny pieces of vintage ephemera right next to like punk posters from shows I went to and handouts and stuff like this. And so it was this massive just wall, this whole like weird, like ransom type (laughs) wall (laughs) of like, of, of graphic design and, and print design. And in some cases, absolutely package design. Cause I would save these like vintage pill boxes or like band-aid yeah. containers from like 1925 or something like that. And so I did not realize early on how obsessed I was with graphic print and production design until I was actively in this career. And I was just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> So in our first conversation, you definitely did not admit that you were a hoarder from an early stage in life. Yeah, it was really specific hoarding. It probably doesn't fall under hoarding, but it was really specific. Nothing else except for like little, maybe it was more crow-like, right? I found these pretty little things I really liked and I like made a nest, right? Specific (laughs) hoarding. I love it. (laughs) It's, It's specialized hoarding, right? Yeah. Okay, so you're always digging like the tangible, the things you could hold and and how it made you feel and how that impacted the appearance of it and all of that stuff. So that was happening early on. Now, Very early. Yeah. What about recently? Have you had any recent interactions with printer packaging that you were supr- pleasantly surprised by or you really enjoyed your interaction with them? So it's it's hard because again I've I've always been like oh this is this is so cool look how they did this stuff I was like oh look at like that die cut and like like all that kind of stuff I'm always like a really big nerd for like oh that looks really neat I'm gonna touch it like <laughs> definitely it, it's always been a thing I think what's been a real trip recently is now like I help make stuff like that so more recently the thing I've been really geeking out about was I I helped create the art for. Um, the packaging for the new Snake Eyes G.I. Joe classified series. Nice. And so I'm on that packaging. And so they they created, the, like, it was the classified, like, I think it was Black series. It's classified series, but it was, like, Snake Eyes Black. And so, like, <laughs> it came in this really elaborate, like, packaging. And so I and another artist, like, created, like, the visuals for it. And it yeah. was, like out of this world cool and I didn't know while I was making it what the final product would be you know you make the art they tell you the specs and you work on it and we worked on it for a while and then it came out and I'm like oh my god that looks so cool I was just like look at all the pieces and there are all these different things look at the die cut and how like it's like a wrap and so that was really cool and extremely recent because I was actually part of that process but it was still like it it still got to be a surprise because I was not a in like intrinsic part of the actual production process mm-hmm. just on the yeah like the aesthetic team and so it was still this really big surprise to see what the final product was even though i i kind of knew how it would look no so but it was it's always different going from seeing it on screen seeing you know your visual input what you created seeing it you know applied to the artwork on screen to holding it in your hand yes yeah, it was it was a really neat thing. Did they send I, you I, one of them? They did. They did see it. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten to like hold it yet because they send it back to the U.S. and I'm in Sydney right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, people have been like, they post like unboxings and stuff like that, and it's yeah. really really cool. And like, so I get to I get to see it. I haven't gotten to like hold it yet. Okay, but... so you haven't had that moment where it's in your hand, taking it to no, another level. No, I've gotten to see the actual like 
video of it and like people like photographing all like the different things but I haven't been able to like yeah touch the outside box which has a different design from the one I did but it's also spot varnished and it's like a box and and, like it's it's like nestled in the box with like a special poster and stuff so I'm really looking forward to like my own personal unboxing so (laughs) when you get back to the states you have an amazing unboxing video to film yeah, in theory, we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to be like any good at it because it might just be me <laughs> repeating over and over in a hushed tone. This is so cool. This is so cool. <laughs> You're talking to yourself. Great job, Tracy. You did so like, good. This is. <laughs> I just totally forget that there's cameras. Like, oh, this is so cool. Look at this. Oh, it's so cool. And like, it's just the same thing, like I over love and over. <laughs> That's such a cool one. Okay, definitely. When you open that up, let me know. Um, I want to hear about that experience, but I'm definitely going to Google some unboxing videos of that. I'm, I'm trying to remember this is really embarrassing but the I can't remember his name because I have serious mom brain and I'm terrible with names but there's a, a comic book artist who like illustrated Deadpool okay. and obviously like, a bunch of other work but they'd really know him from Deadpool and he did an unboxing on his Instagram live so of cool. like of like the the snake eyes and so that was really cool to see but I'm like really blanking on his name which is so embarrassing oh that's fine we'll, <laughs> so look, you it, can see it. we'll look it up because he's got a like <laughs> boys in the background and stuff and he helped work on like gi joe and stuff so it was really neat that's a cool one okay i'll check that i'll look for that one um so what do you think makes print so special why do you think designers and creatives are so attracted to print and really nice packaging and things like that so i i think that we just as like a species are very much attracted to visual stimuli we are visual creatures we depend on our eyes to like experience and navigate through the world right and so i think it's this thing where we know that we are attracted to these things that they are of interest and so we market to ourselves to that tendency and so you know you and i were kind of speaking about this earlier we we like pretty things and we know that we like pretty things so we design them that way and so i think that's what we respond to is that that initial hook even subconsciously we might not know that we're being but like it it does it gets us and the marketing teams know that yeah and that's what i find so interesting when i'm you know when i'm talking to people and they're they're telling me because i look at things from that print and packaging side but a lot of people don't so when they're telling me about a product and the box it just felt like really cool and like had this shiny thing it was i was kind of cool i bought it because of that and i was like Boom, that is soft touch coating or a soft touch laminate yep. that's hot foil. That's mm-hmm. there to make you go, ooh, shiny. And then once yeah. you pick it up because it's shiny, you go, ooh, soft. And yep. you buy it. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. It's an it's an easy hook and it, yeah. it, it does get you. We are like not to like really double down and like the crow thing that I mentioned but mm-hmm. we are very much like that where we're just like oh yes give me and then you take it back home <laughs> <laughs> yes look at this thing I have on my shelf <laughs> it's like oh yeah it has no actual like intrinsic purpose but I like it <laughs> yeah exactly it's there and I'm going to show all of my friends and all of my family and yeah yep. so true I couldn't agree more there um now where do you personally look for ideas and inspiration in making some of these print production decisions do you guide some of that do you where do you stand with that uh so it's I wish I was a little bit more conscious in in like tapping into inspiration I don't even know if that's a possibility but again 
in my collective nature, if I come across something cool, I'll save it. Yeah. You know, they have like on Instagram, you can like save things to collections yes. or I'll pull something offline and I have inspiration folders. And so often when I'm approached with a project, I will have something in mind most of the time, whether if it's a print job, I know is like, well, this would look really cool if we printed it on foil, or this would be really cool if I used neon or a glow in the dark or something like that. Yeah. But sometimes that that doesn't happen either mm -hmm. in terms of like how we intend to produce it or how we, how I want to pursue the actual creative of it. And so I will dive into those folders. And then of course the people I follow are a really big uh, factor in that because they'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember, you know, so-and-so did this really amazing project with this and I really wanted to try that out. And so it's, I'm normally just like glomming on to like stuff that's around me in a really like, like, it's like this natural thing that I do to like collect the visual stuff that I like because I've always been doing it. And so mm -hmm. like it just compiles. And then sometimes it's like, yeah, sometimes it's it's really like laser focused and sometimes it's really not. And mm -hmm. so I kind of wish I had a similar process to like inspiration and the collection and use of said inspiration the way I am for certain things, but I'm mm -hmm. definitely not. And I don't, I wonder, right, how much of that inspiration process can be, like, synthesized into being a little more specific. But, you know, at least I, not for me. Yeah, I think <laughs> because there's such a wide variety of, of the way that you're approached with projects or the, or the variety of projects you're approached with, it's, it's almost hard to have specific processes and categories of inspiration for this is a superhero process and inspiration. This is this process, right? And the other thing with that is it, it sort of limits the creativity a little bit. You know, mm, there's something yeah. nice and something special that can come from having all of this, all of the samples and the visual stimuli all sort of locked in your brain. And then yeah. somebody coming to you with an idea and with a project and you go, Ooh, 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 that, fit, Ooh, this fits that there's, there's some of that, right? So you don't yeah. want to limit that. And that's like the thing is there's this like subconscious thing that can happen where like you make those connections yeah. like kind of unwittingly and, and there is a method to that madness, but you aren't maybe as like, yeah, it's this um, like almost free associative thing that happens and you realize like the intent later, but I do wonder how much of that is like laziness on my <laughs> part <laughs> or just like, but that's how the process actually works. Right. So that's a beautiful label. It's the process. I mean, we all use nonsense senses. Like, that's my process. And they're like, oh, she's an artist. That's her process. It's like, it might just be code for being lazy, yeah. but you're not going to know. Right? Stop it. I'm in my creative flow sitting on this couch with popcorn. Yeah. It's like, I need this. Yeah, exactly. I, it's how I decompress. This opens yeah. channels in my mind. <laughs> um, so I want to go back in time a little bit again, Tracy, and I want to hear about the very first print project you were ever a part of. Mm. Tell me about that. So you'll have to tell me if it needs to be, um, do you want it per my career, which is where like the commercial pop culture stuff happened or non-screen print related fine art stuff that I did in college. <laughs> I want the earliest that you can remember. <gasps> okay. So the, the actual earliest. Cause actual timeline earliest. Doing, okay. So I think I was 11. Excellent. <laughs> And uh, my middle school was running a, and other people might have experienced this, um, the D.A.R.E. program. 
the in dinner, my school. Oh, D dot A dot R dot E. What does that stand for again? Uh, it, it's like the the no drug like thing. Drugs, alcohol. Uh, what does R E stand for? I could Google it, but like, I know I mean, like, saying. Yep. Yeah, it, it was the 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 school and youth related anti drug initiative, right? Yep. It's a dare. Mm-hmm. And so in middle school, they, in New Jersey at least, like ran this like contest where kids would like make a poster, you could submit it, it's like the poster contest. And then like they would choose, you know, a certain number per county or district or something. I don't think it was the whole state. I'm pretty sure it was by like county, I want to say. And then whatever one got chosen, they'd put it on a billboard and they'd like, print your poster or something would go around school. Nice. So I made one because there was like a theme. Okay. It was like something about like steps to something or whatever. And my poster actually won. Yes. And so like I got a cash prize. I got an award and like a billboard. And then like my poster was like put up in my school or whatever. <laughs> and so I totally forgot about this for years, but I came across a photo of like me at like the award ceremony being little. I was just like, Hey, I was on posters for a while. <laughs> so, like, I I did two or three contests like that, and I actually like won money as like a kid. So what? And, like, what year was that? So if I was oh, like ten. I'm oh, fuck math. No, I don't. I don't want to do math. It was nineteen ninety. What, what year were you born? Eighty six. 86. Okay. So, yeah. so it was 96 ish. 96. Yeah. 96, 97. So Tracy yeah. Ching designing posters since 96. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a thing. That's, that's a thing. A thing. <laughs> I love it. Okay. That's perfect. That's what I love these stories. They take it back to that early nostalgia, yeah. you know, the, the high school newsletter, they take, you know, back to back in the day, Prince been around. There's so many ways to get into print there's so many re- like things to do with print yeah. and that's why i love that that little question yeah. that story. and that was like it, it was like it was multi print format too because they made the posters but then there was like a billboard and so it was like it was a thing it's a whole thing i'm looking forward to you sharing that picture with me shortly it's it's up there i'll, I'll find it i'll dig it Is up it? it's up there awesome I, I put it most of the time like when i do like um like speaking engagements it'll be one of the last slides i do nice. i'm just like look i'm little and weird and i made a poster <laughs> and i'm still making posters so please your dreams Is like, the picture with you just like standing holding the poster or a certificate yeah so it's like three of us from like yeah. our district and me and my little like 90s dress with my like 90s frames and my like side braid or whatever it was like holding my poster i'm just like amazing amazing <laughs> <laughs> so as we know dabbling in the print world things don't always go as envisioned as planned things like that so tracy i want to hear about a project that you've been a part of a print project that didn't turn out as you had hoped or didn't go well or or went sideways or just i want to hear your experience with that yeah, there's not just one option. I think oh, it's so I, easy. I <laughs> yeah, I think it's so easy like to view things from the outside and think like everything just goes to plan, right? Yeah. But it really it really really doesn't. Um I had this one project where I was supposed to turn this um one color uh print that I did that was supposed to look like a civil war era um design and it was supposed to be produced as a um like as a fine art print. Yeah. So like with the deckled edge 
on like print paper and and they actually like carved out like they laser printed like the plate the metal plate to turn these into fine art prints and I was really excited about it because that's the background I come from I I was a fine art major with a fine art print minor yeah. I'd never done silkscreen but I had done you know intaglio printing and that's what this was supposed to be this really nice intaglio print the way that it was done back in the day and that completely fell through and it was a disaster, like the whole thing. Like nobody knew that it was coming, but I knew and I was excited. It was like for this big event and it just like boom, 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 just a complete implosion. And so like they never made it like out into the world. I know that some of the comps exist somewhere. I don't even have copies, but it was like this whole thing. And like I can't name names because no. it will spill some very serious tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like it was this huge like – print production let down where like oh my past and my present are coming together and like it was going to be really neat to like feel that paper right because when you print in taglo prints it has to go in the water and it has to set yeah. and then you like put the ink on the plate and then you run it through the press and then it has to dry and like all this stuff so I was really excited to like deal with that again as a medium and it just like totally died so I don't I definitely don't want to get into names but I do want to just really quickly identify like one of the core problems, like where did it go? Where did so it go it so for, wrong? It was for a, a, not a big release, but it was for like a big event with like a minor release. And okay. the main thing was, and I, I was excited because I, I was of the impression that this fine art printer did things commercially. And so fine art is very different um, than, than silkscreen in the process because it is a lot more, um, changeable. Mm -hmm. It's obviously not bent towards commercial. So screen printing is for commercial. So you can do a run of 100, 200. And there's of course quality like checks that have to be done, but it's, it's a process designed for production, right? Yes. Fine art printing is literally for production, but not in the same quantity. And so there was a disagreement as to the quality of the overall size of the edition. And so there was no way we were getting like a hundred and then like there was the opinion that there was no way we could get 50. And I think there was this fundamental confusion about like what was possible from the fine art side because it was like a, typically done in like a silkscreen state of mind. And that's not having had the background. I never considered that they would be like, there would be a confusion about how compatible or how overlapping they would be. But there was some, unhappiness about the final project and whether or not it would be like reasonable to release or a good idea to release. And I thought they looked okay from the images, but I couldn't see them because they were being printed across the country. So I couldn't yeah. go mm -hmm. to the print shop and, and confirm it. And all these decisions were made without me. And so like, I think that there was, there was a communication issue. There was an expectation issue. And I think it would have been better if people kind of came together to like compare notes on experience and expectation mm -hmm. and expertise mm -hmm. as well. Right. And so there was a really big breakdown there. It was, yeah, those expectations that I think kind of killed the project ultimately, because like, that's probably a conversation that should have been had at the beginning, but you wouldn't know what you need to talk about if you're, if this is brand new. And so mm -hmm. that was one of those things where it was a really, it was a gamble. And I don't think people realized how much of a gamble it was and if I had known that, I would have discussed it more with both teams. But, yeah, it, it crashed and burned hard. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't align. Nope. So, Tracy, I really want to deep dive into a project now. I want to yeah. take one of the, the prints you've done and I want to dissect it. I want to hear some customer stuff. I want to hear some budget stuff. How much did the mm-hmm. stuff cost? Um, you know, vendor decisions, paper decisions. Like, I want to deep dive into this. I want to live in it a little bit. Um, right. So what you got? So I think one of the most interesting projects I've done from a like production spec uh, realm was my Thor Ragnarok from 2017. It was a poster I did with Hero Complex licensed in advance of the film. Mm-hmm. And so that print was a trip and a half just in terms of like creative, like producing the actual image and then producing the print itself. Yeah. So it's, the roller coaster, no matter what. <laughs> so before we dive into this one here, you were given basically like top secret information not to be released, like non-disclosures, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So non-disclosure, yes. But we were tasked with creating a poster in advance of the film without any imagery, assets or knowledge not already made public. Wow. So we had the same information that everyone else had and we had to just kind of like, and this happens often. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that if you do something licensed, you get a lot of assets and that's not always the case. And so like we got high res assets that you would find during like, you know, Collider does like an image release, like the first look photos. We got high res versions of that stuff, but nothing that the public didn't already have. Yeah. And so that poster that I made, I didn't realize it when I made the creative, like, that scene was almost exactly in the film because it's him on the rainbow bridge when he taps into his like lightning powers or whatever spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I didn't know that when I was making it, I was just like, yeah, this just makes sense. And it, it'll look cool. And then later on when I saw the film, I was just like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> like, look at that. that. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, we, I, I of course had to sign an NDA, but I did not um, yeah. get anything like extra. So did you know anything about the budget of this piece? Did they tell you how many they're looking to print or anything like that? Um, I'm trying to remember in terms of budget. Um, we, we were, and again, this was a very like complex project. Mm-hmm. So we were allowed to make prints for the show. Okay. This was all behind an official, like an official gallery show in advance of release of this particular film. And so because we were allowed to make money off of the print itself, there was no like outright payment, except if they used your design for the Fandango release. Cause this was for Marvel studios and then hero complex and Fandango simultaneously. So there were three, wow. kind of four because of Disney um, parties that were involved in okay. this process. So I'd go through a lot of legal teams. Um, but yeah, if they chose your poster to be used as a Fandango special, you got like an extra bonus. Nice. But in terms of budget, because it was a gallery show, like the gallery had to put forth money because of like essentially licensing fees. Yep. But it was still like kind of a gamble whether or not your print would like sell. That's how much you got back. But I did get chosen as a Fandango release, so I did get that bonus. Nice. <laughs> I worked really hard for that bonus too because they said, okay, so you have – so many weeks to design the creative, but if you want to be considered for the Fandango poster, you have to finish it by this deadline. And the deadline was four days away. 
Oh my gosh. So I did that poster in four days. Holy. Okay. So with that said, I want to, let's get into like the file side of this for a sec here. Yeah. Like talk to me about the illustration process um, of creating this, not only from the visual sort of creative side, but mm -hmm. the print production side. Yeah. So I knew from the outset that I wanted to put this on uh, hollow foil, so holographic foil paper, simply because of the aesthetics that we saw in the trailer for Ragnarok, you know, the, the bright, vibrant colors, but also that rainbow bridge. I was really yeah. into that rainbow bridge. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is going on foil. Let's design it for foil. And that's typically how it should be. If you're putting something on foil, it doesn't go as well if you don't design it. If you just pop it onto foil, it doesn't always work. No, you so have I to create like, it for foil. Or, or with it in mind, it makes it easier. You can pull it off sometimes, but most of the time it, it does seem like an afterthought if you don't design it for that. So I knew that's where we were going. And so I was like, okay, I want to do this portrait. I want to do the rainbow. And I do vector illustration work. So everything's done in Adobe Illustrator. I have my custom brushes, which is how I create the engraving side. So illustrated them. And because I've always worked in silkscreen, I exclusively work in a limited like color palette. Mm -hmm. So... I knew that I needed to keep it to like five or six colors and how they were going to um, interact. So there's one, one mistake I kind of made, which was the cutouts. So when you look at the image, there's like the rainbow like coloring, but then there's like the hollow foil, like zigzag lightning, which is really hard to do in printing. But when we get to the production conversation, we'll, we'll discuss it then. But okay. what happened once I finished the artwork, I had to divide up the colors because that's how you print screen prints is one color laid on another. And so I had to divide them out, but we decided to go with an overlay. So a transparent overlay. So you could see the foil through all of the colors and half and half who's the, the team that produced this is a, they're just wizards. They make everything look amazing. They've made me look amazing for like years. Um, <laughs> but they came up with the idea of how to actually make this print happen. So we, collaborated on to how to make this possible. And they're like, okay, let's break it into these colors and use the overlays to use basic color theory and produce more colors than we're laying down. So, you know, the, in order to create the purple that I use as the darkest value, we overlaid the blue and the red, and then, you know, just the basic like yellow and red and blue to make like the greens and the purples and stuff like that. And I don't think there's orange on there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's, it's just those, but we broke it down into those colors that would eventually overlay to to trap them properly to get registration because you have to lay them one on top of the other. Yeah. But in order to get those lightning bolts in there, all the colors had to be laid down perfectly so there was no registration shift. So you can only see one of the colors. I really yeah. put half and half through their paces. <laughs> people look at this and they don't realize how hard it is to get those like those peek throughs, those show throughs of the foil, especially under four or five sometimes six layers of color. Yeah. I asked the impossible of them to produce this print and they, they did it. The thing is it's easily one of my favorite prints I've ever made. Mm -hmm. And it's not because of just me. Like this is a collaboration with your printer. You both are bringing your expertise together yes. to make this image and this product happen. And they killed it. I like, it, I'm not like in any way being e egotistical when I say it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever made because they helped make sure it happened. Yeah. And they bent their expertise to make sure like 
we could achieve something really cool together. And so it's, it's wow. so pretty. I still love pulling it out and looking at it. Big props to half and half for pulling that off. Um, yeah. Can you just tell me a little bit about the process of going from creating your artwork to the process of separating it into the print layers? Like, could you just sort of explain that process just a little bit? Yeah. So once I finish the actual design, I'm already locked in on how many colors there are because being vector, there's no pixelation. There's no like color gradients that happen or color mixing. It is hard shapes with hard colors. So I know there are five or six colors or four colors or three colors. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't need to break that image down at all. What I do is I export it from Illustrator into Photoshop as a flat image. And then I literally just magic wand tool every individual color out. And then it's already separated. And then I have to deal with things like um, like the trapping or you know things to help with registration. Um, mm-hmm. If there needs to be an overlay, if there can't be an overlay, stuff like that. But mostly it's a really easy process because I don't have to I don't have to half tone anything because I'm not working as a raster artist. It's already yeah. kind of a done deal. So I'm very lucky in how I have to prep the file because it's already kind of finished. Mm-hmm. It's five colors. I just find those five colors. Find those five and, colors. Yeah. And like it's literally just a flat image and I pull them out and then and then that's kind of it. And then I can handle the trapping if I need to. But to be honest, the half and half um, – kind of does that for me a little bit because yeah. they they work their wizard magic yeah some, pre-press wizards like, there just like, like don't don't bother because you're gonna mess up. <laughs> they don't say that they're very yeah. nice but in my brain i'm just like yeah i know you'll do a better job than me yeah and so i really appreciate i'm happy to pay that file prep fee because they they know their job and i can prep it but they do a better job since they are on the production side of things because i cannot print my own things I don't know how you print like an edition of a hundred of a five or six color print on specialty paper. Crazy. It's, it's incredible. So then you've created this file, you've sent it off. They do their wizardry and the pre-press side of things. Now the actual print of this, this is mm-hmm. literally one color, 100 sheets, change the screen, second color, 100 sheets for mm-hmm. five separate colors mm-hmm. or six separate colors is, is, yeah. is basically how this is produced here. Yes. Um, it's just freaking crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> that they're able to line that up. For, for this particular project, because yeah. it's not, sometimes you can just overlay colors and you don't have to think about the registration. But because of the lightning bolt, because of the peek throughs, they had to lay down every layer essentially perfectly a hundred times. Okay. So where, where physically in the, in the U S were you? during this project was going on? Like, were you able to go to their facility and proof this or press check this or how did this go down? So I would adore it if I could go hang out at like the half and half, but I'm in DC. My printer is in South Carolina. Uh Um, They, I would adore the ability just to go see it. I would never like, I would never even like try to be like, yeah, that's not good enough. Like they do, <laughs> Add a little more yellow, please. <laughs> right? Like yeah. I trust them. And I mean, to be honest, I've had to go through many years of working with printers to know who is the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. And so half and half is my absolute favorite. There are a ton of great, great printers out there. None of them are anywhere near me. So no matter what, I could never do the print checks. I would have to just trust them. And sometimes it did not work out well. I like... There was this one time I did this Admiral Akbar print 
and it came back Cheeto orange mm. instead of brown because I chose the wrong like Pantone because it was early in my career. Yeah. I chose the wrong Pantone and my printer didn't like color check me. And so I had a, a Cheeto orange Admiral Akbar as a print. <laughs> so yeah, you have to go through these phases to figure out how you work remotely with a printer as well as finding a printer that does it because I am very lucky that the half and half are incredible. They're, mm-hmm. they're color matching their color sets. They look at your comp and they're like, here's what we were thinking. Or if they don't think the color is coming out right, they'll show me swatches, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like they, I just trust them implicitly now. We've also worked together for many years so that mm-hmm. we kind of have this process now, but I can trust them implicitly to produce a product and they, they deliver every single time. Um, and so I don't actually do any kind of quality assurance. They, mm-hmm. I think they did a little bit more. We did more back and forth you know, earlier on in our, our relationship, but now it's kind of just like, yeah, I know you, you'll, you'll get it. And they know my files <laughs> too. Like they, they know roughly, like I know how they like to see their images and like, you know, it's RGB, like this DPI and all this other stuff. Um, yeah. but now it's kind of just like this, this thing where I can just trust them and I'm probably a little lazy where I'm just like, yeah, I know you'll get it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys will fix it. It's fine. <laughs> you have- you let people who have the specialty and the experience and the knowledge do their job. Mm-hmm. And I trust them to do their job because they know more than me here. So I create the art, but they make it real. And I, when you work with the printer, you want to choose somebody you can trust. You want to yes. choose somebody who has that expertise. And if you can find that like company, you hold on to them because that's, that's a relationship to be treasured for sure, especially mm-hmm. as somebody who produces work or needs to have work produced. So you said you put this together in four days. You designed this whole thing, put it together in four days. It was one day of email, three days of actually working. Crazy. Okay. So in terms of hours, like are we three, eight hour days? I'm assuming we're longer than that. Like, yeah, it was, it was more than, than eight hours. I didn't sleep for two of those days. Yeah. So I slept like the first night after a full day of work and then I just like didn't sleep for the last two. And so it's really funny um, you as a, as a person who makes the work knows like the parts where you messed up or it could be easier for other people. So like, I'm going to blow up my own spot here because I was so completely sleep deprived. I didn't realize that I merged his waist with the cape. And so if you look at the print on the right side, so his left side is like tapered waist, right? Cause he's like handsome actor. So he's got a tapered waist. Do you want this out there, Tracy? Are you sure you want this? I'm just kidding. (laughs) The other side is straight because I did not catch the lack of taper because my brain blurred it with his cape. So it's, it's two in one. I didn't separate the line of the cape with the tapered waist. And so his waist is super flat on one side and super not on the other. And no one ever notices it. But every time I look at that thing, it jumps out I at you. Can't, I can't unsee it, right? Yeah. And so like, I look at it as like, best mm-hmm. print I've ever done. So exciting, so fun. But look at his waist. <laughs> and so three days, I did a good job for it being three days, except that. Yeah, uh, that's all good. <laughs> minor, minor, got- minor detail. Okay, so <laughs> you, you did all of that. Now, what was it like when you went from, okay, half and half, here's my file. Mm-hmm. to then seeing it in person 
for the first time. See, I need that unboxing video. So it was, I'll, I'll take us back. It was a sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> I like they, you know, they come in these like really big cardboard sleeves. So you take the, the, like the folder, the cardboard folder out of the sleeve and you cut it open and it folds open like this. And then you take off like the, the paper. So the paper comes up and I'm like immediately blinded by the sunlight hitting all the transparent oh, color yeah, yeah, and the yeah, dot yeah. foil. And I was just like, <gasps> like <laughs> oh my God. literally took your breath away. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, like it was. And I like, I literally just stood in the light holding one of them, like moving it back and forth for like what must've been five or 10 minutes. And I'm like, I put it on the ground and I'm like moving back and forth. Cause you can see the dot foil change hue. Yeah underneath the ink all the colors <laughs> and all the ink and i'm just like and like the foil coming through it i'm just like oh like, <laughs> just staring at it and i'm like again there's no like ego there because it was just this beautiful production this image like it didn't yeah. matter what image it was the production was just like wow <laughs> <laughs> just and a so, pure masterpiece it was it was so impressive how they did it because, you know, in your brain, you, you know, technically how they're going to do it. And they yeah. showed me, you know, some of the overlays, they, they took a piece of like the, the foil paper and they did some like quick overlays to just show the color issues. So I saw those, I, I knew in my brain how it was going to work, but it's very different seeing the final project. And sometimes 100%. it's a good and a bad thing. Sometimes it turns out way different than you thought. And you're like, <laughs> Oh no, but this one completely blew over any expectations I had whatsoever. I love that. That's yeah, amazing. It was, that, that was quite a moment. <laughs> that moment. Ah, oh, so cool. And I like immediately sent off an image, like not an image, an email to the printer. I'm like, just all caps, like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, just like an immediate, like totally unprofessional, like this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. how did you guys, do? like just a total gush email. I was like, and just sent it off. And then I went back to like, admiring it and i'm pretty sure they're just like look at this chick over here like losing her mind. <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's why they're not going to let you in the building when you get there right <laughs> probably it's, i would not begrudge them that like yeah i would totally mess up the vibe because be like look at how cool that is oh my gosh look at this can i touch this like <laughs> just messing up everything i love it so i want to just sort of wrap up with a couple of questions here, Tracy, about well, the first one about advice for designers who are looking to get into print or to just somehow get started in print. What advice would you give them? So in terms of print, like silkscreen print? Yeah, that's your, that's your jam. So why not? Okay. So yeah, this is really specific because silkscreen print is expensive. Yes. You are just starting out. It costs a lot of money. Um, I mentioned this in our Quickie podcast. Um, I printed my first run via Kickstarter mm -hmm. because I, so a basic print run costs no less than like 500 bucks at a minimum. If you have like three colors on basic stock paper, maybe an addition of 50, it's still going to cost you easily 500 bucks. Something like Thor to produce costs like anywhere between one to two, depending on how many layers and what kind of paper and the addition size. Mm -hmm. It can be really costly. And there is a gamble. 
you haven't done the work before, you haven't done like Pantones before, you don't have the relationship with a printer, it is a gamble. So my recommendation is to put some kind of like safety net in place if you can work with a you know a gallery or a company or an artist or a printer that's accustomed to doing these things that can help lead you and that's going to take a lot of mm-hmm. like investment in time in trying to see what might be a good fit how you yeah. might want to do it um but having a kind of like having oversight is helpful you can gamble I straight up gambled. I didn't have any of that. I picked a printer I'd never worked with. I knew that they did good work, but I didn't know how it was going to pan out. And I did that by essentially saying, here's my campaign. I want to make this a print. If you back the Kickstarter, you get a print. And so mostly it was just a way to like sell it with some like security. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was it did so well. Um, we did a couple of prints. But that was the project that turned out the Orange Cheeto Admiral. Oh, okay. So I had to print it twice. But people were so crazy about the hilarious Cheeto Admiral, they ended up wanting it anyway. So, like, (laughs) backers got to choose if they wanted regular Admiral or Cheeto Admiral or both. And so, like, it was this organic process that happened, and I got very lucky in a lot of different ways. But there have been prints early in my career where it did not turn out the way it was supposed to, and I had to pay for a reprint. Which is so it can be so it's really good to do fewer colors to start out because it's less expensive and it's a little easier to print um, or to use a third party as a safety net. So my my suggestion and advice is always work hard and work smart. And this applies to that scenario. You need to be as forward thinking as you can be. You can't plan for everything. Um, And then. Yeah, be as as involved and as conscious of the decisions you're making as you can be. And then there's still a little bit of a gamble there starting out. But to be honest, anyone starting out anywhere is risking something. (laughs) Is risking something, right? Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So on the Quickie Podcast, I have the Ask It Forward question. Mm. Um, I've sort of switched it up for this one. And I want to do an Ask the Audience question. So got an audience of designers who are passionate about print, want to learn more about print and packaging and stuff. So the ask the audience question is going to be a question that goes out to my audience and they interact with on Instagram. Um, So Tracy, what is your ask the audience question? So I really liked your early question of like, what was your, you know, like earliest memory of print or packaging? Yeah. I want to really dial down on the nostalgia. So because we were yes. talking about GI Joe packaging, right? I want the, the the viewers, the listeners, to share the the piece of packaging or production that has the most like nostalgic, intrinsic, like immediate, like guttural, like reaction, right? Like, did you love Jif in 1983? Like, did you love their (laughs) packaging then? Like Mr. Peanut or something, right? Like, or, or anything. It could be a toy. It could be a show or anything like that. What's the the branding that is deeply embedded in like your nostalgia and childhood? I want to see those. You know, the first one that comes to mind for me is Big League Chew. Do you remember that that (gasps) gum? Yes! Big League Chew gum. Okay. What flavor were you though? Oh my gosh. There was an apple one, wasn't there? Apple something? There was green apple. I love the grape. See, I didn't, I liked both. 
I think I I think I gravitated to Apple because I seem to remember that the most. Yeah. But yeah, it was just so cool. The, the original was fine, but like, grape. <laughs> grape is where it was at. I just loved but it. Yeah. You felt so cool walking around with this bag of like gum strips. It was so tasty. Yeah, it was. But it lost its flavor in like three seconds. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, it, gone immediately. <laughs> You throw a big gob of it in your mouth thinking that, like, oh, this will last longer three seconds And then you're like, what are you supposed to do with it after? Like, you're supposed (laughs) to spit it, right? Because it's like, chew. So many things. So many things. But, yeah, I want to see. I never made that connection that it's supposed to replicate chew. Tobacco. Oh, my gosh. As a child, what were my parents supporting? You can name Anything, movies, film, TV, products, cartoons, doesn't matter what it was. So much messed up stuff. I mean, there's still messed up stuff, but they had no filter as far as I'm concerned. Like, I look back at stuff and I'm like, holy crap, like, that is not appropriate for children. <laughs> and yeah, Big League Chew was supposed to be like the majors spitting chew in the dugout because oh you're super cool, but you're a kid. So it has to be bubble gum. Do you remember the other? There was another one, just on this topic here, there's another one called Popeye Smokes. And they were like the little candy sticks meant to like pretend they're <gasps> yes. cigarettes. But no, they came. They were just candy cigarettes straight up. Yeah, 100%. Do you remember those? They came in like the little white, like. Yeah, a flip top. It was a flip top, even like mimicking cigarettes. And you they, put them in your they mouth. They were straight up kid cigarettes. And only the first time, but you could blow through them almost like a straw. You blow through them and like a puff of like sugar would go out like you were smoking, like fake smoking. For... But I liked them. I. <laughs> Like it's candy, right? Yes. Like you think about like there's a reason like the tobacco and alcohol industry had some major curtails in their marketing possibilities because they're just like you're literally setting up children to smoke and to drink. Like it's a it's horrific, but also kind of like morbidly amazing. Yeah, you like, just like wow, well done. I mean, I have like lung issues, and I'm, I've lost all my family and my home for my choices of no beverage. Teeth. No teeth. No teeth. But I mean, yeah. I applaud you, tobacco and alcohol. You've, uh, you got me. <laughs> yeah, it's like when like you see the villain, you're like, you know what, you suck. But that was ingenious. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible, Tracy. On that note. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I love chatting with you and hearing your stories and hear stuff that you got cooking. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, it was awesome to like be here and like connect. And I'm really looking forward to those nostalgic packaging ideas. So make sure you tag both this show as well as me because I want to see them. Absolutely. <laughs> nope, we're going to put it out on Instagram and we'll make sure everybody's tagged in there. All right, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And you heard it right there in the end. Post a picture to your Instagram feed of that nostalgic packaging from back in the day. That one piece of print or packaging that you cannot forget. You just loved back in the day. And when you do, make sure you tag at printdesign underscore academy so that I see it. But also tag Tracy Ching so she can see what it's all about. Also, head over to the Print Design Academy Instagram and leave a comment under the questions so, uh, so we know what it was, what picture you posted as well. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.